I invite you to turn with me tonight as we begin to Luke. First of all, to the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. I remind you as, as I read Luke that the writer of Acts is the writer of the Gospel of Luke, and these are really two volumes of one story. I hope to show you more of that as we continue tonight. Luke chapter 4, verses 17 through 24, and then we'll turn over to Acts 2 and read verses 1 through 21. This is the word of God. Give your full attention to it. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly, truly, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Now over to Acts chapter 2. Verses 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all gathered together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit 
on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, by the same spirit that inspired the authors of scripture, Luke in this case, the same spirit that was poured out upon the church, May we have ears that are open to hear, hearts that are open to receive. May we have eyes to see. And Lord God, we pray that what we will hear and what we will see will be faithful and true to what you have revealed. That we would behold Christ and our lives bound to his. We pray this in his name. Amen. Luke records for us the fact that when the Spirit of Christ was poured out upon his disciples, upon his church, it was not an event that took place in a corner. It was not a secret event. Pentecost is by no means a secret personal experience that takes place in the quiet seclusion of one's prayer closet. It is revealed to us as a grand and glorious and very public redemptive historical event. Truly a mighty act of God on the order of the death and resurrection of the Son of God. Hearing the commotion, hearing the sound of the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the church, that great wind that we heard about earlier, the crowd of people who had come to Jerusalem for the festival gathering for Pentecost gathered together, gathered at the hearing of this wonder in the vicinity of the house where the disciples had been gathered, and they stood there marveling, wondering, what was this new thing? If the thunderous sound of the coming of God were not enough, once they had gathered, they heard yet more marvels. Men in Jerusalem speaking their native tongues. They heard strangers who should not have been speaking in their tongue, speaking in their tongue, in their own idioms, in their own dialects, leading them to ask that question that we heard, are not these men who are speaking Galileans? This wasn't natural. This is amazing. And they were astonished. And they just couldn't understand what was going on. Here were a group of men, the disciples, none of them particularly interesting or special. 
none of them uniquely intelligent, none with extraordinary linguistic ability, just your run-of-the-mill Galileans. And yet, they are speaking languages that probably they had never even heard before, much less learned. Now, if one lived in the Roman Empire in these days, it was common enough to speak several languages. You would have spoken likely the language of trade and, and commerce, Greek. You would have also likely spoken the language of politics, Latin. And you would have spoken your own home dialect. But to speak in the dialects of outlying regions of the empire, to speak in languages of, in the languages of those that the Romans had conquered way over there, that was another thing altogether. That was the marvel. So you have this conflation of things, this, the sound of God, and then the sound of their own languages being spoken at them by strangers, and the language, their own language being spoken to declare to them the mighty acts of God, all they could sit there and do was marvel and ask, what does this mean? Now those who were asking that question, what do these things mean? These were the receptive ones. They were marveling. They were wondering. They were asking a very good question. What do these things mean? They noticed, they observed, they could not deny that something truly amazing, even supernatural, has just occurred, and we cannot explain it or ignore it. We cannot explain it away or ignore it. It's an event with genuine meaning, and we'd like to be let in on what it means. These are the receptive ones. Others in the crowd, as we heard tonight, were not so receptive. Hearing the same sound, the mighty rushing wind of the Spirit of God, hearing their languages spoken to them by men who had no business speaking those languages, they almost instinctively and immediately began to suppress the meaning of all of this. They would give their own spin, their own interpretation immediately, and so suppress the real meaning of what was happening rather than listening carefully to what was being proclaimed to them in their own languages, the mighty acts of God, they not only sought to deny or block out that explanation, that true meaning, they immediately began to try to deny it to everyone else. You heard them. Like their father, they immediately start to lie. They are filled with new wine. You guys want the meaning of all this? I'll give it to you. They're drunk. That's what's happening here. They're drunk. It's actually an ironic statement that they make, this lie that they speak. Given the fact that Jesus, even in Luke, would speak of the new covenant that he would give with the, by the metaphor of new wine. Nevertheless, 
At the very outset, the disciples, filled now with the Holy Spirit, standing up to proclaim the mighty acts of God, are met with animosity. They're met with objection. They're met with resistance. Now, while there are some who are listening, some who are receptive, some who are hearing and inquiring, there are these as well who oppose. Now, this will be a theme that we will find running throughout the rest of the book of Acts. Standing up to proclaim the good news of the mighty acts of God in Jesus Christ, you will have those who will receive, you will have those who resist, even oppose. But what I wanted to highlight for you this evening, in addition to explaining what's happening in Acts chapter 2, was that this theme, receiving the Spirit, being anointed and filled with the Spirit, proclaiming the mighty acts of God, speaking of the time being fulfilled, the promises being fulfilled, and receiving resistance, even opposition to that, was a theme that began not here in Acts, not at Pentecost, but back with our Lord Jesus Christ himself, the one who is the Spirit-anointed Messiah. What I wanted you to see, what I want you to see this evening in part, and this is why I read that beginning of Luke's, of Jesus' ministry in Luke chapter 4. What I wanted you to see are the numerous parallels between this event here in Acts chapter 2 and how Jesus' ministry began in Luke 4. Let me outline some of the parallels, and I'll explain why I'm doing this in a minute. In Luke chapter 3, verses 22 and 23, Jesus was baptized and received the Holy Spirit, we're told, without measure. In Luke chapter 4, verse 1, we are told that Jesus, filled now with the Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to do battle with the prince of this world. And then, in Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 16 and following, Jesus begins his public ministry. And when he begins his public ministry, he is given a scroll from one of the prophets in the synagogue, the scroll of Isaiah. And he takes it up and begins to read what Isaiah said. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. That was how things played out in our Savior's life up to that point. Now, do you see what's happening already here in Acts 2? In the beginning of this sermon series, I made the claim, I made the statement that we should understand the book of Acts as the book of the Acts of the resurrected and ascended Christ. Not just the Acts of the Apostles, but the continuing Acts of the resurrected and ascended Christ. And truly, we are hearing of the things that Jesus is continuing to do and to teach when we read Acts. 
and follow what Jesus is doing through his disciples, through his apostles, through his church. And what we see, well, what brings this out, what strengthens this claim that this is Jesus' continued work is how the church, how the disciples are being molded into his image. They're being conformed into his image, even in their own lives, even in their history, what they are doing. We are seeing in the disciples a continuation of his ministry, almost a a repeat in some ways of his ministry in this world. Jesus began his public ministry after he was baptized and received the Holy Spirit. Then he opens his mouth and speaks of his spirit anointing, an anointing that is unto the preaching of the gospel to the poor. So now, what do we see in Acts? The disciples are baptized with the Holy Spirit and immediately begin a very public ministry, a ministry that will extend far beyond the borders of Israel. And just like when we read in Luke, when Jesus opened the scroll and read it and proclaimed today it was fulfilled in their hearing, we were told that when he did this, when he spoke these words, people marveled. They were amazed at what they were hearing. They were amazed by the things he was saying and by the way, the authority in which he was saying them. They were all the more amazed given the fact that just looking at him, he didn't appear to be anyone special. Isn't this Joseph's son? How, how is this happening? Does it remind you even that question of a certain question that was asked here in Acts chapter 2? Are not these Galileans? <laughs> how is this happening? Continuing, Jesus in Luke 4 anticipated the conflict, the animosity that his public ministry would engender, that would follow him, that would come at him. And so anticipating that, he already has a word to his detractors. He says to the skeptics out there, not to the receptive, but to the skeptics, surely you will quote me this proverb, physician heal yourself, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Then he went on to talk about how there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, and, and yet Elijah wasn't sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. You wouldn't expect that going outside of Israel, the prophet going outside of Israel, but here goes Elijah. And then there were many in Israel, Jesus would continue to preach, who had leprosy during the time of Elisha. Yet none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian, another Gentile outside of the borders of Israel. Now, aside from the fact that Jesus is here in his own words, in his own public ministry, affirming that the ministry of this gospel of the poor is going to go out beyond the borders of Israel. It's going to go even to the Gentiles. We see the same thing happening here in Acts. 
The parallels between Jesus' earthly ministry and what we find happening at the beginning in the life of the church and Acts, having received the Spirit, are astounding. They're speaking in people in the, the language of other peoples. They're speaking in languages that are beyond the border of Israel. The gospel, the good news, is going out to the poor all over the place. And just again, like Jesus himself faced, this ministry of the Spirit-filled church now, is met with opposition. There are those who reject. There are those who oppose. There are those who, hearing the sound of the wind of God rushing at Pentecost and hearing their own languages spoken to them, the mighty acts of God, beholding it all, they deny it. They suppress it. They even seek to reinterpret its meaning not only for themselves, but for everyone else, so that no one might believe. When Jesus was opening that scroll in the synagogue, he made the point that being anointed with the Spirit, his ministry was unto now the preaching of the gospel to the poor. And what is the first thing that happens when the disciples receive the Spirit of God at Pentecost? They begin preaching the gospel. Might also note, in terms of parallels between our Lord's ministry and that of the church, Jesus began his public ministry, his preaching of the gospel, by quoting from a prophet and explicating the meaning of that prophet. He read from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he read a passage and then spoke of that passage, interpreted that passage in terms of its having been fulfilled in their hearing, in him. The fulfillment was taking place right before their eyes. Now, what does Peter do when he begins to speak? when he begins his first recorded sermon in Scripture. He quotes from a prophet, and he speaks of it being fulfilled in their hearing. You see what's happening? See what the Spirit of God is doing for us here in Scripture? How he is binding the church and her life to Christ? The church and her ministry to Christ? It's as if we're seeing Luke 4 playing itself out again here in Acts chapter 2. Or perhaps it would be more accurate to say that here in Acts 2, what began in Luke 4 is continuing. Jesus Christ is still speaking by the Spirit through his anointed ones. The mighty acts of God continue to be proclaimed. Scripture is spoken and proclaimed as being fulfilled. And as we expect, the responses vary. So 
What we're seeing, again, is Jesus Christ continuing his public ministry in and through his spirit as that spirit has been poured out upon the church at Pentecost. But the crowds, hearing all of this, seeing all of this, do not yet understand. They're perplexed by the fact that they heard a great sound, and now men are speaking to them in languages that they have no business speaking, and they're telling them about the mighty acts of God. What is the meaning of this? Is their question. And as I noted, the detractors are saying they're, they're drunk with new wine. Now Peter stood up, we're told, among the eleven. He raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Let me explain the mighty acts of God to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, what you are seeing, what you are hearing, is that which was spoken by the prophet, by the prophet Joel. Joel wrote, In the last days, says the Lord, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter is proclaiming the meaning of what they are hearing, what they are seeing. The sound you heard, the tongues that are being spoken in your ears, these mighty acts of God that are being proclaimed, all of this is nothing less than the fulfillment of Scripture, the fulfillment of what Joel said would take place in the last days. It's happening It's happening right now. The prophet Joel saw what was coming. By the Spirit of God, he he prophesied about what was coming. He said, in the latter days, this is going to happen. Well, the latter days are now the last days. They have given way to the last days. The Spirit of God. Proclaimed by, prophesied by Isaiah or by Joel, has come. We are all now standing on the threshold of the end of history, the end of the world. We are living in the last days. This is an important theme, too, that you need to have as you're moving through Acts, so you won't understand what's going on. Joel's Joel's prophecy envisioned a time at the end of history, in the latter days, when the Spirit of God would not merely be poured out upon prophets like him, but upon all flesh, men, women, young, old, slaves, free. He envisioned a time when that which he was anointed, with which he was anointed, would be poured out upon all of God's people. And this was the blessing. This was the ultimate blessing of the covenant. This is the culmination of the blessings promised in the covenant. God himself would come and dwell with his people. 
It was a blessing. It was a promise. It was a prophecy that was bound up with the end of the world. Joel saw not only covenant blessing, but he also saw covenant curse. He saw signs and wonders that heralded the end. He saw blood and fire and billows of smoke. Joel spoke about how the sun would be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Joel understood the giving of the Spirit to all of God's people as an end-of-the-world event, an event associated with the coming day of the Lord. And Peter's saying, standing there in Jerusalem with all the signs and sounds accompanying, signs and sounds which have amazed those who have gathered, and Peter says, we're in it. We're in the last days. Joel's prophecy is being fulfilled in your hearing. We are at the threshold of the end of the world. Moses himself looked forward to the day when this would happen. When the Spirit of God would come upon all of God's people and they would all be like prophets in that regard. That day, Peter says, has come. Moses' hope has been realized. These tongues you're hearing are a sign of confirmation of that reality. These tongues that you're hearing are a form of prophecy. Throughout the book of Acts, we will see further confirmation of this fact, as by the power of the Spirit, men and women will speak and act by the Spirit of God. But the emphasis is not so much on the accompanying signs and wonders. These are merely signs and wonders accompanying the giving of the Spirit of God. That's the main point. The signs and wonders are just attesting to the glorious reality of this. They're bearing witness to the glorious reality that the Spirit himself has been given as a gift to the church. Don't lose sight of that. In fact, the signs and wonders that accompany the gift of the Spirit, the signs and wonders that signal the end, the fulfillment, and bear witness to it, these things will themselves cease. In fact, they have ceased. But the gift himself, the pouring out of the Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit remains that everlasting end-time blessing of the covenant in Christ Jesus. On the other hand, given that the Spirit is a blessing, the end-time blessing associated with the end of the world, associated with the last days, though those who are hearing it proclaimed have to realize the gravity of the situation. They are living in the last days. The great and terrible day of the Lord is near. It's begun. Indeed, Christ has already come. The king of the kingdom of heaven has come, and he is coming again soon to consummate what he has begun. And on that day, 
just as the signs and sounds and wonders that they're seeing here confirm that we're in the last days, on that day when he comes again to consummate, you will see the blood and the fire and the billows of smoke and the sun darkened and so forth. The end of all things created. Joel predicted a day of blessing, but he also spoke of the day of judgment. These things in Joel's prophecy are all bound together. He predicted the coming of the Lord God with all of the blessings of the covenant, but also he saw the coming of God with all of the curses upon sinful man. So what's happening here in Acts? And what does this mean? What does it mean that the Messiah in Luke 4 comes in advance of the end of the world? And what does it mean that these disciples are proclaiming the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the end of the world? What does it mean that we are hearing people speaking in our own languages, telling us about the mighty acts of God? What it means, Peter says, is that the blessing, the end-time blessings of God, come first. The blessing of the Holy Spirit is given first. We are living in the last days. Christ Jesus has secured end-time blessing for his people prior to the end. That's what Pentecost is all about. The Spirit of God is the blessing of of the kingdom of heaven. It is the blessing of heaven par excellence. He is the gift of God himself. He's not a means to an end. He is the end. He he is the presence of God in the midst of his people. A presence, what we're seeing here is so wonderful. He is the presence of God in the midst of his people, yet He does not consume them. The fire is over their head, but they are not consumed. The church will not be consumed in the judgment of God. The Spirit is the presence of God among his people. The presence of the great and glorious God who will one day judge the world, and yet he dwells with them and abides with them, and they are not condemned. And what all of this means when Peter stands up and starts preaching to the crowds, explaining what these events mean, it's the gospel, it's the good news going out to the poor. He is saying, if you call upon the name of Jesus Christ now, at the hearing of the gospel, if you hear today, come to Jesus Christ now. You will be saved now prior to the end of the world. You don't have to wait to the end of the world to wonder whether you will be saved or whether you will be condemned. The salvation of God is yours now, just as the Spirit of God can be yours now. Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, the crucified and risen one, there is escape from the wrath to come. The end-time judgment that Joel spoke about. It's going to be poured out upon all flesh. But first, 
If you come to Christ, if you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit will be poured out upon you. The blessing will be given you, not the, the curse. But taking all of this together now, bringing it all together, what does that look like? What does it mean that we have been anointed with the Spirit of Jesus Christ? We already enjoy end-time blessings, the end-time blessings of salvation. We have God dwelling in our midst, and we're not judged, we're not condemned. What does that look like as the Christian life plays itself out? Well, we're already seeing it. The life of the church, a church anointed baptized by the Spirit of God, is going to be conformed to the life of Jesus Christ. It's going to look like him. And I don't mean that in some abstract way. I mean in concrete terms, because you're seeing it playing out right here. Things that were taking place in Jesus' own life when he was in the world, his being anointed, baptized by the Spirit, his standing up to read the scroll and proclaim its fulfillment, his being opposed by those who are hearing, it's playing itself out again in the life of the church. They're being conformed to his image. He was not received. While they might marvel, while they might say, wow, he says glorious things, at the end of the day, they're like, isn't this just Joseph's son? And they reject the prophet from their hometown. And what this what this means for the church is that we can fully expect, as they're seeing it already at the beginning of the church's ministry in Acts, that you stand up to proclaim this gospel as a baptized member of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, and you will be ridiculed. You'll be counted as a drunkard, a fool. We're going to have to face that. Probably you already have. It means, however, despite all that opposition, it means that you are blessed. Even as you suffer for the sake of Christ, even in that suffering, there is for you a, an assurance that this means I'm in Christ. This means I am blessed with the blessings of the end of the world even now. As I'm united to Christ and conformed to his sufferings, this means that I'm also a sharer in his resurrection life and glory. Even a sharer in the spirit of God. So as we move through Acts, we're going to see more of this. We're going to see the church, specific disciples, apostles, conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And it's going to mean a lot of rejection. It's going to mean a lot of suffering. It's going to mean the bearing of a cross. But it's also going to mean that the church will not be consumed. It's also going to mean that the church will triumph. That the church bears not only the sufferings, but also the resurrection life and spirit of Jesus Christ. And no matter what the world throws at her, she stands. And the word of God will continue to increase. And what it means for us today, as well, is that if we're hearing the gospel spoken in our own language, in our own tongue, 
calling us to repent and believe, to call upon Christ and be saved. It means we're living in the last days. And the time is short. If you do believe, praise God. Because it means that the hearing of the gospel came with power and the Spirit has baptized you and given you a new heart, given you ears to hear, and blessed you with the blessings of the end of the world already. It means that this blessing is not reserved for a privileged few. As I said at the beginning, none of this was done in a corner, but it's to go out freely to everyone, there to hear the gospel in their own language, and be told to call upon the name of the Lord and repent, for the time is at hand. Day of the Lord is at hand. Once again, Pentecost is not an event that takes place in the quiet and secrecy of one's prayer closet. It is an end-of-the-world event, a once-and-for-all-time event. It is an event that doesn't take place again and again, but it is the spirit of the risen Christ poured out once and for all upon his people, a people who will then be conformed to his image, to his death, and to his life. Now, if you believe the message that Peter preaches, rejoice, give praise to God, You've been made partakers of the Spirit of God, even in your sufferings, even in the mockings you might receive, the painful conforming sometimes to the image of Christ in this world. But even in all of that, again, you can rejoice knowing that you're also partakers of his glory, even the everlasting life and glory and salvation of the Spirit of God. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit poured out upon the church once and for all given by Jesus Christ, risen and ascended. The Spirit who is the Spirit of the end of the world the spirit of the kingdom of God, the spirit of the last day judgment, given in advance, poured out in advance, going out with the proclamation of the gospel, given to those who hear and believe. Lord, we pray that we would then pray with an urgency for the message of the gospel as it goes out. We desire, Lord, that gospel to go out to every tribe and nation and tongue in the world. In in these last days, at harvest time, you will gather in all of your people by the gospel of Jesus Christ through your spirit. We pray, Lord, that your people, having gathered unto you under the banner of the gospel, would be conformed to the image of Christ. And in that conformity to the image of Christ, have comfort and assurance 
that they are those who will stand at the end. At the last day, they will stand. And help us, Lord, even now to rejoice in the face of persecution and ridicule and mocking. Because the same spirit that was upon Jesus when he was ridiculed and mocked and crucified now indwells us. And we praise you for it. We, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.